Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is an extra special additional episode of The Guilty Feminist that I recorded in Calais with volunteers working with refugees. There's a lot less press in Calais now that the jungle has been dismantled, but there's still a lot of refugees and amazing volunteers out there doing work who need your help. At the end of this podcast, listen out for links so you too can get involved. I'm a feminist, but I am a little bit jealous about the amount of incredibly multicoloured, kind of fabulous outfits uh, that the volunteers in Calais are here, here are wearing. And I've got to say, I do feel a bit dull. I've come in sort of navy blue thinking France chic, sure. And everyone else has got like really super cool red and purple. And, uh, and I feel like I'm the least fabulous person here right now. Uh, that, that's true. That's true. Now, Evie's offering me her uh, her Technicolor Dream Penny to take with me. I couldn't possibly, Evie. I couldn't possibly. No, no, no. I feel the centre needs it. Um. I'm a feminist, but I think that my sexuality might slightly be dictated by the length of my hair. <laughs> Having recently got a buzz cut. Has, has the buzz cut made you queerer? Uh, yes. Has it? <laughs> 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 it's so like an actor. Came out after I cut my hair. <gasps> you cut your hair and then you came out. Did you, is, it, is it like an actor starting with the shoes? You must start have, with the It must have started with the shoes. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's less technical dream coat, more Samson. <laughs> I've got a good one to answer. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I'm scared that if I cut my hair, I'll then get stereotyped as the lesbian that I actually am. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I've got one from somebody else. Who Great, be here, perfect. But it kind of links onto mine. Okay. Um, so this is um, my um, boyfriend. Podcast <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, now we've committed. Have you not said boyfriend yet? Is well, no, you said it? no, mm, no, yes. no. <laughs> we we had the conversation. We've had it. It's fine. <laughs> it's complicated. This it's is. not complicated. It's fine. Um, but last night when we were, uh, n- we knew that you were coming, we sat with these guys and came up with I'm a feminist, but via WhatsApp. And his was, um, 
I'm a feminist, but I almost gave myself a hernia trying to lift a barrel of water into a van. But because there were women walking past, I pretended that I felt nothing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which leads on to my, I'm a feminist, but I did find it very attractive that he was lifting that barrel of water. (laughs) Quite easily into the van. So it worked. Nice. I'm a feminist, but the other night I got into a club wearing skiing trousers and adventure boots and somebody bought me a drink and I was really flattered about that. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I get unnecessarily stressed when I need to go to the toilet in the caravans that we live in as volunteers because everybody can hear everything and, of course, <laughs> girls don't pee, poo or fart or anything like that. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when you were telling me about the caravans earlier and said the loo's inside, but there's loads of people in there, I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) You get very close to people very quickly. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. I always turn the taps on. Yeah, I do that. Do you? Do you? Yeah. But then I feel bad for wasting water. I know a story about that. Um, Marilyn Monroe, when she went to stay with Arthur Miller's parents... Um, she was they, they, her bedroom was right next to theirs and she was really nervous so she, she turned the taps on while she went to the loo and uh, the next day Arthur Miller's dad said she's a lovely girl Arthur but she pees like a horse <laughs> <laughs> live from the Calais warehouse it's me Deborah Francis White with the guilty feminist starring the volunteers of Calais and Dunkirk <laughs> My flatmate, who... Oh, Steve. Yeah. Do lots of you know Steve? I feel like Steve's kind of famous. He is. Steve again, very famous. Um, So, yeah, no, so Steve lives with me now. He's my flatmate. Um, I got involved uh, through Timepiece. Does anyone know Timepiece? It's a new app coming out that's a skill-sharing time banking app that connects refugees with local people in the UK. And I saw the video for it, and it was not long after the EU referendum vote... And I was just really moved by all of these sweet people kind of going, I could teach English and cycling proficiency. And, uh, and lots of incredible, you know, local refugees going, you know, I can teach the dancing for my country and cooking. And, you know, it was just, it was really lovely. It was really heartwarming. So I was like, oh, if people heard refugees on podcasts talking about something that wasn't being a refugee, that I think that would really help. If they were talking about cooking or dressmaking or, you know, poetry or something like that I think it would really help so I created a couple of podcasts specifically for this and uh, also invited timepiece guests onto our current podcast and uh, Steve turned up to play Global Pillage um, which is my it's like a bit like QI but it's diversity based and uh, he so he turned up to do that and then he he said he was sofa surfing and I was going away for three weeks and I, we really needed someone to look after our cats. And he was a, he told me he had rescued cats in the Calais jungle and he was a big, big cat fan. And so he stayed for three weeks. And when I came back, it just became clear that if Steve left, one of my cats would go with him. So I was like, I was like, I'm very, it's the one I'm fonder of as well. So I, uh, I, uh, uh, they'd really bonded. And uh, so and we had a spare room and I was like, well, why don't you stay? And then, you know, a couple of months later, uh, you know, Steve's sort of become like my brother. And now I'm like, never leave us. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, we've, we've, he's kind of taught me a lot and introduced me to a lot of people. Um, and then another friend of mine who was a, who's flies small aircraft, so was coming in from Jersey um, to the jungle to, to fly in supplies, also connected me with other people. So I sort of have a, like a couple of catalysts and I sort of got involved in it. And then I realised that with the podcast, we have a very activated listenership 
Um, so our listenership is nowhere near the BBC, but every single one of our listeners gives a fuck. So um, uh, that's, that's the thing. You know, it's not wallpaper. They've sought the podcast out and they're listening and they're engaged. And I think a lot of people would really lo- like to know how to help and what to do. Uh, but they either have time and no money or money and no time uh, or no time and no money and or just no idea of how to kind of p- get purchased, you know, which I, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I, I thought it, it seemed overwhelming and sad and other and uh, all consuming. And what if I said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing? And I think the more refugees that I meet and the more volunteers that I meet, the more I realize it is incredibly it, accessible incredibly uh an incredibly valuable connection and uh there's so much you can do that's really amazing it's 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 just i feel like it's it's easier to be useful in a small amount of time or with a small amount of money in with this than anything else in my life that i've ever experienced it's pretty hard to be useful in real life actually (laughs) a lot of what we do is frankly bollocks um (laughs) if you work in an office frankly what most of what you do if you left tomorrow if you died tomorrow they would go oh that's sad and then they would replace you with someone else and within a week to 10 days if that Every contribution you'd ever made to that office would be identical to some that someone else could have made. So in real life, I think it's, it's quite difficult to make a difference. Or you spend ages finding the perfect birthday present for your best friend and you really put loads of thought into it and you give it to them and they go, oh. And you go, what do you mean, oh? And they go, yeah, I've sort of got one like this. And then you go, I hate you. <laughs> and everything that you did for that, you know, you plan a surprise party for somebody and then they don't really like surprise parties or somebody told them three weeks ago. Sometimes you make huge efforts in, in, in life to, to make a big difference or do something wonderful. You know, you go and do a PhD to discover whether or not earthworms can, uh, you know, procreate backwards no turns out turns out no turns out no they can't and you've wasted seven years of your life and everyone else's time and money and funding a lot of what we do feels a bit purposeless um and something that i've really understood from getting to know refugees reaching out to people who are in situation just whatsapping people who i've just met through friends on facebook and regularly contacting them and saying how's things going having jokes, sending kids coloring books, you know, sending little memes back and forth. It feels so huge to, you can feel how much that means to people. There's one lad I've been talking to who's in France, uh, who's from Sudan, who's called Musap. I know that he's very down. He's been stateless for 10 years. You know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And he's from Darfur. And he feel, honestly feels like he, it's illegal for him to live on planet Earth. That is how he feels. And he's, he's not wrong. The only place on planet Earth that's legal for him to live is somewhere where he will definitely die. And that's, it's, it's an extraordinary fact. There is no patch of ground, no air that that boy can breathe that is legal. And that's, that's a lot. And just to be able to just say hi to him every few days. And the other day he said, he messaged me and went, I've got my new court date for his, uh, his, his, his asylum application. And he was so excited and he had good news and he had hope and he wanted to share good news. And having people, and I'm sure he's connected in with other people as well who he shared that with, but having a few people you can tell your good news to. Imagine if you had no one to share your good day with, no one to share your hope with. That's as bad as no one to share your sadness with. Um, so understanding that and, and really um, through people who are 
frankly, much more humanitarian than I am, much more wonderful people than I am, what, who seem to have much more motivation and capacity and uh, to disrupt their lives for the sake of others. Is uh, I've learnt that from people uh, both in London and here today. Uh, and today I'm with some of those people and they are volunteers at Calais who are working with refugees. Um, so first of all, I want to say hi to you guys. Hi. Hi. Um, so thank you very much for having me. Can you tell me uh, where you guys volunteer? So Caroline, Caroline is the uh, volunteer that I've been talking to who's invited me over. The only thing I said, what do you want, Caroline? Can I bring you and the volunteers anything just to make your lives a bit better? I want to bring supplies for refugees, but what, what, what indulgence would you like? And she said sticky toffee pudding. I was like, I've got this. I was like, don't worry, Caroline, I've got this. I'm going to St. Pancras. There's not one, but there's two Marks and Spencers there. And I checked with her, is M&S the right one? She said, yes, M&S. I go there, neither M&S, it's St. Pancras, is currently carrying sticky toffee pudding, which as far as I can see is their landmark product. <laughs> when I think of M&S, I think of pants, knickers, and I think of sticky toffee pudding. The M&S there had and neither. £10.2 £10 for one meal deal. Um, and and that's, 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 that's what... Sorry, what's your name? Evie. That's what Evie thinks of. <laughs> there was no sticky toffee pudding. So now, I, And I felt so terrible because Caroline, all she asked for, she's here in the freezing cold, working day and night, being an incredible humanitarian... And all she asked for was sticky toffee pudding. And I came and I did not deliver. Guys. <laughs> You're listening out there uh, in, in a Guilty Feminist podcast land. Hello, I failed on the first hurdle. Uh, I didn't bring any, but I'm going to box up loads. You have to tell me how many you want. <laughs> and I'm going to post them over. Also, I've worked out because I, I can walk to St Pancras from my house. I am 50 minutes door to door from St Pancras to Calais. That's quicker than visiting anyone I know in London uh, once you get on the tube or in an Uber. I mean, it's over an hour to get anywhere in London, and that's a scientific fact. To get from any one point in London to any other point in London, over an hour. Uh, so I'm going to be here all the time, guys. Uh, and I promise to bring sticky toffee pudding every other time I come. Um, so, Caroline, can you tell us uh, a little bit about who's here today yes. and where we are? Um, so we are now in the warehouse in Kelly that is uh, managed by Help Refugees and Auberge with also the Refugee Community Kitchen and many, many teams uh, who are working every single day to help refugees here in Calais and in Dunkirk. Um, around the table is a fantastic mix of people from all sorts of different teams. Uh, I myself are from the Refugee Women's Centre and we mostly support uh, women and children and families who are both in the camps of Calais and Dunkirk. To give us a cheer if you work at the Women's Centre. <laughs> okay, so lots of you work elsewhere. Where do you work? Um, I work with Refugee Community Kitchen and sometimes Utopia 56. What's Utopia 56? Um, so they are an organisation, French organisation, that um, distribute food, clothing, um, hygiene items at four different points in Calais. Um, and the food comes from Refugee Community Kitchen who um, do food in Calais and in Kirk. Great. Anyone else work anywhere else? We one two three four one two five. Um, are on the school bus project, which is a big double decker bus which drives around Calais and soon Dunkirk, also um, providing mobile learning for refugees. This is for school children. Um, <clears throat> it's for everybody. Everyone's welcome, but we we absolutely prioritise children. And so you teach children? Yeah. 
guess we, we create a safe, quiet learning space for them. Amazing. What amazing work to be doing. How long do most volunteers stay? How long do you... <laughs> <laughs> so most people say depends. they come for a week. And any like anybody who's long here has probably said they'll come for a week and then ends up staying for anywhere between six months and a year. Wow. Um, but lots of people come here, you know, a lot of the short-term volunteers come here for, you know, a couple of days or a week. And then there's, you know, anybody else can range between like a month and, yeah, a year plus. I went to Greece just before last Christmas for a fortnight. I had to actually close the camp. Get them to leave. Wow. So you went to Greece for a fortnight and then they, they had to close the camp to get you to leave. Is that, is that why they closed the camp? Because if so, you may have been working against the best interests there. Like, she's not going to go unless we close it down. And the refugees all went, yeah, good, no, let's do it, do it, do it, do it. Um, has it changed your perception of the world, your perspective, your happiness factor? How, how has it changed you as individuals? I think that for me it's had a huge impact as it does on most people that come, whether you come for an hour, uh, a few days, a week, months, longer, um, you see a huge amount of kindness and from volunteers but also from the people that you're working with and, and, and trying to help because they're in some of the worst situations and yet they're always so kind, um, really polite and you just see the real strength of human spirit and it's just astounding um, and so I think that's a really wonderful thing and makes you look at the world in a slightly different way and think about that it doesn't matter what you do, but you can always do something small to help somebody else, um, mm. whether that's a friend, someone you know really well, or somebody that you have never met. Um, and that's a quite empowering and really wonderful thing. There's that incredible well. quote from um, the White Helmets film where it's like, you can't help everybody, but you can help like somebody. Just like that, I feel like that's very much what we do here is you can't, there's no way we can get everybody everything, but we can at least try. I was reading um, a story about Maya Angelou when she was a little girl and, uh, you know, the worst possible thing happened to her, basically, and she didn't talk uh, for quite a few years. And she just, just, just basically, she was a voluntary mute. And uh, a lady uh, took her to uh, the library and said... I want you to read all of the books here. And they were really kind of beautifully bound. And she just just kept driving her to the library. And she said she didn't speak for years, but she read. And that's how she became this incredible voice because she'd read all this amazing literature. And when she could speak again, she really had something to say. But also she had a medium to say it with because she had been, she'd taken in so much beautiful prose and poetry. Um, and I, I remember reading that thinking, not all of us can be Maya Angelou, but we can all be the person who drives the little girl to the library. There's something that really struck me is that it's, you know, we spend our days on the field or with people, but it's not work. Like, even our days off, we gladly spend it with the, the, the people we work with, with the children. So it's it's makes so much sense now that I'm here or that I'm doing um, what we're doing, like, to use your day, your time, your life to make it worthwhile and, you know, make it every morning you wake up and you know there's a purpose and um yeah that has really brought me in and one symptom was really like one sign was um whenever we take we have a day off and when we do take it even so we want to spend it um with with the people with the refugees because it's not work it's just something that feels right in our friends and it's people we build connection with so yeah and i think like adding to that when you're speaking about just talking earlier and like what pushed us to come here i think a lot 
I don't know, like, for a lot of other people, but at least for myself, it was, like, the need or the, like, will to try and understand what's happening, like, what's happening in our own community, our own, like, continent or country, you know, like, how the, like, refugee crisis, in inverted commas, <laughs> is, like, spoken about so much. I don't know, just the need to understand, like, the effect that it has on people, the effect that it has on your own community, like, in the UK or in, you know, whichever country you're from. And if that pushes people, a lot of people to come, what you also then gain from being here is the ability to talk. Like, I, I would never pretend that you gain the ability to, like, fully understand anything. You know, like, the, the longer I spend here, the more I realise I don't understand. But it's like, I notice then when I go home, the after effect is just, like, speaking. Like, you just speak and speak and speak. And I think, even though sometimes it's frustrating because it feels like it falls on deaf ears, the ability to speak to other people and, like, just have one moment where, like, a friend is like, shit, yeah, like that's really bad, I'm going to donate or I'm going to, like, do something. Or, like, two weeks later, someone comes back to you and is like, oh, yeah, I saw that article in the news. Like, I thought of you or I thought of this, you know, the people you were working with. And I think, like, for me, that makes it worthwhile. Like, just speaking and having, and then hearing other people speak as a result. Because I think that's, like, what... That's the danger in the whole situation is silence and, like, mm-hmm. ignorance of it. So, yeah. In The Guardian, um, I think it was a little boy who had said it, that the opposite of bravery isn't fear, it's silence. Because yeah, um, exactly. we feel we feel fear all the time, and that's fear is the thing that requires bravery uh, to be able to go and do something about it. Do you guys need more volunteers? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 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 Always. 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 Okay. I would, I would be pushing the order volunteer, because I think we have a lot, we have a lot to offer. Uh, people who are sort of like uh, their children have grown up and left home and I think there's lots of people I talk to in my age and older and go oh I think it's amazing what you've done because I've been here uh, I started coming in 2006 because my daughter came to work at Refugee Kitchen and uh, first time I came I cried all the time I cried at the jungle, I cried on packing baskets, you know, bags of clothes. Somebody had donated a hand-knitted hat and there was a little note on it oh, saying, oh, God, yeah, I can remember. And it, and it said, oh, I hope this keeps your head warm in, like, little granny handwriting. I was a mess. And I, and I thought, well, I, I can't possibly do anything else. You know, I can't. But I came here a few times and then I went to Greece. But I think people think it's difficult and that it's, you know, it's not something they can do. But... Actually, I worked in Help Refugees Warehouse in Thessaloniki and I was warehouse mum and I made sure everybody had a hot meal at lunchtime. I thought, everybody can do this. You don't have to have special skills. I happen to be a teacher, but actually 35 years of teaching doesn't give you the skills to teach refugee children who've never been to school and don't speak English. Which, which bag of skills that's in my skill set is for that one? It's not there. So I would be pushing people who got a bit more time. So, so, so if your children have left home and you're thinking, I'd like to do something purposeful, What's purposeful, yeah. Or you know, you're of course many people's children have left home; and they're still working, or they're paying for their kids' university or whatever. But if you're if you're somebody who feels you have got some time, and again, you can come for a week, you could come for a weekend, and you can help. Um, you, I think we sometimes think, oh God, that will be my whole life now. And to be honest, Joanne's not a great investment because she <laughs> she came for a weekend, and now this is her whole life. And a whole refugee camp in Greece had to be shut down so so that she would leave. So I'm not going to lie to you; I'm going to advertise it as a weekend and 
and you're then going to get stuck. Possibly, possibly, not necessarily, not necessarily. You can just you can just come for a shorter period of time. I get that crying thing, and I feel so pathetic when I cry because I think, why am I crying? Pull yourself together, you know. Get, just get your white tears back in your head. You you know, and I just I just feel like, oh God, I'm so pathetic and so soft when I cry. And and how does anyone else cope with that? Do you feel like, how dare I be the crying one? Does anyone else get that feeling? Can, I mean, you can say it out loud because it's a podcast. <laughs> people, are, people, are, people are nodding and clearly trying to hold tears back at the same time. And, uh, but does anyone else get, I, I shouldn't cry? It's really interesting. So sometimes I've had conversations with people here and you kind of go, oh, well, I've had a bad day, but I can't complain about it. Or I've had an argument with somebody, I can't complain about it. Like, why am I crying? Why am I struggling? Um, and I think the only thing a friend said it to me once and it's really stuck with me is that we in essence every day we're fighting for people to be able to have that right to have the basic human right to um, get upset about something silly to have an argument with someone to get frustrated over paperwork like to have human rights that allow them to live normally and if like to accept that we can do that as well is kind of a gratitude of the things that we have and the, the privilege that we have is to be like yeah I can cry about something because that is a human thing to do Mm. It, it, that's a really, it's a really interesting point, actually, that sort of human right to cry over something silly uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, or, or something small. And actually, the more, the more time I've spent with refugees, the more I've, I've felt like, actually, I, my flatmate Steve, he's so nice about my first world problems. <laughs> and he's like, no, uh, well, I'm, my luggage got lost and um, it had some really nice stuff in there. And Tom was like, my husband was like, oh, um, you're being very good about that. Because I was like, well, you know, it'll turn up or it won't. And he was like, you're being very good. And I was like, well, Steve's right there. And he's lost <laughs> literally everything and currently can't travel to see his family. So I can't really go, oh, my best frock. And, um, and Steve said, no, but it is annoying when your luggage gets lost. It's really annoying. And I said this, look, there's one pair of trousers. I find it very difficult to get trousers to fit me. I don't know if any other women here have had that experience. Uh, but trousers, who do trousers fit? No women I've ever met. Every woman I know can't get trousers to fit. Why are they making them for women who don't exist? It's not clear to me. But trousers don't look that great on me. And I have one pair of trousers that were, that I've had for years and I've patched a million times and I've done, you know, I mean, not personally, obviously I've taken them to a dry cleaner. I can't use the needle and thread, but I have... And I was just like, if they get lost, I'd rather, uh, to be honest, I'd rather you smash my phone because at least I can replace that. And, and Steve went, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I got I, my favourite trousers when I was in Damascus, my, got a tiny hole in them. My mum threw them out. And he said, I still think about those trousers. Um, I was like, it's really interesting with everything that he's, he still has. Of course, he still has days where he goes, oh, bloody hell, I've dropped that now. And it's like, oh, that was, oh, but there's no peanut butter left. <laughs> what? You know, and it's. And I, I do feel like my friends who are refugees are not inaccessible. But they don't, they haven't lost their ability to be happy with small things and, and sad about small things, to get annoyed, to bicker. That's, it's all still there. And, and of course, you know, if there's an enormous tragedy, as human beings, we have these huge coping mechanisms. And there are times when we have no ability to cope at all if because the cornflakes are stale. I always think I'm good in a crisis, but bad in a queue. Um, you need volunteers. How do people volunteer? I know that lots of our listeners would love to volunteer. Um, people living in sight of Calais, who could, who could get to Calais somewhere or another, people living in the UK or other parts of Europe, um, 
It is still Europe. We haven't Brexited yet. Um, who are allowed currently just to get on a train and get off like it's the same country because that's a good thing. Um, how do we do that? Where do we go? What do we do? If we say, oh, I could come for a weekend or I could do a week or I'm on my gap year or, you know, my kids have left home and I fancy doing this for a couple of months or whatever. How do they do that? Who, who knows? Caroline? You look official. <laughs> it's the ski trousers. It's the ski trousers. Caroline's in salopettes, and uh, that always gives people a sense of authority. <laughs> Unless they're on a ski trip, and then no, then no. But here it makes her look like, more. Oh, she's been here a while. She knows the score. She knows it's going to, it's going to get wet later. She's prepared. Um, there's a head girl quality to Caroline, I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> if the building was on fire, I'd follow Caroline before I followed any of you all uh, uh, no no and do you know because Caroline's a volunteer she took that as a genuine compliment she went oh um, Evie is wearing the most extraordinary amazing it's like a penny of, it's a penny of many colours Evie in the Technicolor dream penny um, she looks amazing I noticed you when I came in I would also follow you out of the building but only because I th would think you'd know where the better party was <laughs> Is that true, Evie? Do you know where the better party is? Probably. Yeah, <laughs> Evie knows. Evie knows. If you come to Calais as a volunteer, ask for Evie uh, because she's got the gear. No, that is a joke. That's a terrible. That's a terrible. That's 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 not, not true. I mean, this is this wasn't the question. The question was how can people volunteer? Not, <laughs> not, not, not when do we not not when do we hit the clubs? But but the, but the, the question's changed. Tell me about the clubbing scene for volunteers in Calais because this is what people really want to. There's only two clubs. There's only two clubs in Calais. No, but this is a crazy bit. I've been here for a year and a half, and it was the first time I've ever gone clubbing here. <laughs> oh, and it was a success. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What? Just like loads of volunteers, they just go out on the lash, hit the clubs, dance floor to floor. I'm, I'm loving this idea. Tell me about what the Calais, what's the Calais Club called? No, I uh, don't even know. At this point, I don't even know. Remember. I think it's four four or five five or something five, five. like yeah, that. Yeah. I am. Uh, <laughs> okay, sorry, we have the answer. We have the answer. Sorry, what's your name? I'm Ellie. Ellie. Uh, the club in Calais is called 555 Club Discotheque. 555? Surely it's Sang 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 Club Discotheque. Yeah, or Discotheque. No, I can't do it. Sang 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 Club Discotheque. Club Discotheque. Is that close? Yeah. Um, that, that, sounds, that sounds so delightful. I'm, I swear to you, before the end of the year... I will be leading a guilty feminist uh, feminist anthem night at Sing 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 Club Discotheque. <laughs> it's going to happen, guys. It's going to happen. I will bring Felicity Ward over because she DJs, and I will organise a I will organise a feminist a feminist night for the volunteers at Sing 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 Club Discotheque. Um, this is great promotion for them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. Don't do ladies' night on Thursday. Yeah, I think it's Thursday. I don't feel like there. ladies' night the same as feminist night, though, is it? No. Is it ladies', ladies night is much more one to bras getting free. It's like, we're going to do feminist night. Feminist night. Uh, completely. Yeah. Do you go there a lot? I've never been, but You've, I'd like to. You'd like to. Right, well, we're going to make that happen. Okay, sorry. Caroline, back to the sensible question. All right. If people want to volunteer, how do they go about that? It feels like a really fun crew, and like... 
you would enjoy volunteering here, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so I'm preempting it with that. You could not have not have a good time here. These people are are really really fun, and and some of them are a bit high. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So there's actually a lot of different teams um, depending on people's interests. So if you enjoy chopping vegetables and um, cooking in general and um, seeing people eat wonderful food and taking part of that. There's a refugee community kitchen. I think for help refugees, there's a lot of different skill sets and a lot of different ways of helping. Um, so for shorter-term volunteers, it's more logistical, um, sorting out clothing and um, being helping out in the warehouse. But then there's a lot of other opportunities depending on how long you're there for and what kind of skills you're bringing in. Um, there are teams like Utopia 56 um, that also do... Sorry, isn't that the discotheque? <laughs> <laughs> well, they do host very good parties. <laughs> but it is a different team. <laughs> um, and they, they also do quite um, general and broad-based activities like um, distributing food and generally being everywhere as superheroes. Yes. There are also more specific teams, um, like the Women's Centre for more being there for women and children, um, the school bus project for more the education side. Um, and do you need teaching experience to be on the school bus project? Do you need... No, Hal says no. Hal says no. Hal says no. And uh, Hal, Hal is not a computer, just to be clear. Uh, those fans of 2001 have just heard almost like computer says no. Uh, but he is a real man and uh, he's, he's, uh, he's in charge of it. And apparently you don't need teaching experience. Do you need, uh, do you need checks, uh, police checks or anything like that? Uh, not necessarily. Um... Sorry, Hal. Mm. Yes, you do. No, not necessarily. Um, not necessarily. You need... Uh... Uh, you just need to be compassionate and friendly. Um, if you want to get enrolled really into the teaching, then we do need some, some uh, what's it called, DBS? GBH. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can, you can come on the bus and get involved in the games and the music and, and, the, and the dancing. Where else could people uh, volunteer? Um, they could volunteer with the Refugee Youth Service which is um, the team that helps young adults and unaccompanied minors in Kele. Um, for this, you do need a DBS check. Um, and like all teams, I think, um, usually the skills or, or more the experience isn't a prerequisite, though it's very, very helpful. Um, and it's usually great to be able to bring something on board. But it's also a great space for people to develop those skills. And if they've always had an interest in something and decide they want to be involved, um, and maybe, who knows, like start a career in it or become more involved in it, it's also a great place to do that. There is the Infobus. Um, <laughs> that are the Wikipedia of Calais. What? <laughs> Wikipedia of Calais? Can I come over here? Because I, I know exactly who this is because there's been cheering from a quarter. You are, sorry, what's your name? Jules. Jules. Yeah. Jules. Uh, so, Jules, you are the Wikipedia of Calais. That's what they say. In a very real way, what does that mean? Um, it does not mean that. That's a lie. <laughs> It means we have a, a cute little van that drives around Calais and we provide Wi-Fi and phone charging and general information. Um, so really quite basic asylum information and how people can access different services around Calais and things like that. So, yeah. 
Great. That's what we do. And what, um, what would pe- people, if they wanted to volunteer for that service, what would they need? Do you need people who can fix phones? Um, we love people who can do that. Um, but no, I have no skills whatsoever, and I'm, I'm doing it and have been for a long time. So if you have skills like being able to fix phones, if you so happen to be able to speak Pashto or Tigrinyan or Amharic, we'd love you. But... To be honest, all you really need, like every other team, is the enthusiasm to do it and, yeah, be good and enjoy talking to people. It's the most important. Um, What other languages are useful here, if people can speak other languages? French and English are the most useful languages for uh, being able to communicate with other volunteers, Mm -hmm. but also being able to make emergency phone calls to talk to local charities, to to talk with authorities and so on. And then different, more like dialects or more specific languages, depending on where people come from. The list is pretty much endless. You've got like Arabic, Urdu, Farsi, like Kurdish, said, yeah, uh, Sarani, um, yeah, the, the main ones. Oromo. Oromo as well, yeah. Okay, so some of these are languages we haven't heard of, listeners, <laughs> uh, much less I, I are able to speak. Uh, but lots of us can speak English. Um, in fact, I would say almost all listeners of my podcast can speak or at least understand English, uh, due to the fact that that's the language it's in. Um, and uh, a lot of you probably will be able to speak some basic French as well. Some of you will be able to speak some f- sophisticated, glamorous French, um, and that would be very, very welcome. Um, if somebody came, say someone could fix phones, that's a really good skill and, and knew how to get Wi-Fi working when it wasn't. Um, there'll be lots of our listeners who can do that or know somebody who can do that. Can they just come for the weekend, get in that Wi-Fi truck, go around, go fix a bunch of phones and go home? So that's their weekend in Calais. But where would they stay while they were here like how does that I don't I think what puts people off is they're going to go do I bring a tent uh do I stay in a hotel nearby like what how does it work how do they get in touch with you say they wanted to do that for example and then where do they stay how does the logistics work I think that's what puts everyone off they just go I don't know how it works and obviously we could ask and that's what we're doing now so there are a few different options um There are various email addresses you can use for help refugees or refugee community kitchen or whoever you want to volunteer with who will direct you. Um, So if if you're a long-term volunteer, you can stay in caravans with all other long-term volunteers. Um, There's also local Calais citizens who host volunteers. Um, So if you're more short-term, that's a really good option. And the organizations will help you hook up with them. Um, Airbnbs, you can use different Facebook groups online to meet other volunteers to plan your stay together. Um, there's, have I forgotten any? Youth hostel? Um, yeah. There's a youth hostel that has a discount mm, for volunteers. Do you have to be young? Because I know there was an issue with some volunteers being pointed out and called old. And to say you were an old volunteer, could you also stay at the youth hostel and get that discount? Oh, one of the old volunteers who will not be called an old volunteer under any circumstances said she stayed there and no one questioned her. In fact, they asked for her ID. Um, just being, you know, it's always it's always a delight when you when you're ID'd. So that's the other question, I suppose, is how. How do you fund your voluntary work? If you were coming out for the weekend, I could absolutely see you've got a job, you get yourself an Airbnb or, you know, if you've got no cash, you stay at the the youth hostel and you get the discount. I see that. But say then you go, oh, God, this is amazing. 
And rather than being an English teacher in London, I think I'm going to come over here and I'm going to stay over here and I'm going to teach English here for six months, which would be an amazing thing to do. How do you fund that move? How do you, how do you, okay, you give up your flat in London or, or Glasgow or um, Barcelona or wherever you are <laughs> and you, so you don't have to pay rent there anymore. How do you pay rent, pay for food, uh, keep your life going um, while you do this, gang? So there's a few different ways. Um, I think it's a lot easier than people expect. So if you're staying for a long period of time, as um, Jules said, there's caravans. Um, and if you stay for over a month, then it's provided for you for free. OK, so, so if you stay for a month, you can chip in for a caravan. If you volunteer for over a month, your accommodation here is free. It's, yeah. it's in a, it's, you, yeah. you get put up in a caravan. Yeah. What are the caravans like? They're great fun. <laughs> My listeners will want to know that. Uh, they're great fun. They're great fun. Um, they're a kind of variety. Is great of fun code for standards. cold? I'm just gonna. Yeah. That's um, one of the words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can they can be cold. Um, they can sometimes get a bit messy after we've had some parties and things. I say um, party caravan. But the more, the more people, the warmer. Yeah, the yeah. more people, the warmer. <laughs> That's from um, Evie. Party Central. <laughs> She's uh, Eve. They call her Evie. The more people, the warmer. And uh, it's 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 a policy that saw me well through my university years. Um, yeah. But they're um, you know they're they're caravans. They're not you know five star accommodation, but they have all usually all the basic necessities that you need. And there are um, port showers, port loos, that kind of thing. They're, no, so they're they're like mobile homes. So there's usually like loos inside. So you you usually live in a caravan that might have, say, three bedrooms and two beds in each bedroom, and then each um, caravan will have, like, a bit of a kitchen area, a sofa, a toilet, and a shower. Um, and then there are also, like, um, facilities for laundry on site. Great. So if you come here to volunteer for a long term, you can stay in, basically, a mobile home, and you all your, all your basic things are taken care of. What about your food? So Refugee Community Kitchen provide lunch for everybody um, who's volunteering, so you get that meal um, for free. And then um, there's usually some um, sweetbread pastries that have been donated that are usually available for breakfast. And then really you only have to probably cover, most people probably cover their dinner. Um, and again, so we get quite a lot of donations as a kitchen of quite random things that we can't really use um, for cooking for refugees, um, like the occasional random tins of things. Or Somebody told me there were like nine tonnes of marzipan donated. Yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah Literally I mean, nine yeah. tonnes, though, not hyperbolic, yeah. like actual. Yeah. Nine um, tonnes. And of... speculoos. We got a lot of speculoos. What's speculoos? It's like, you know, the Biscoff Lotus, Lotus biscuits? It's like the spread. Um, oh. It's delicious and it's vegan, so everyone here loved it. Oh. Um, Are there lots of vegans here? Yeah. Oh, you humanitarian, <laughs> animalitarian, lovely people. You are. Um, so if you're vegan, you're going to fit right in. Are there also vegetarians and carnivores? Yes. Yes, yeah. yes there are. Okay, all right. There's a, there's a, there's a, well, there's a, the animals wouldn't say there was a good mix. <laughs> they say that's a bad mix. Um, but, uh, but you'll find your people and you'll probably go a bit more vegany if you're around yeah. loads of vegans. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's what happened to you. Yeah. I, I can't drink normal milk anymore. Okay. <laughs> Where do you work, Chris? With the refugee infobus. You're also a walking Wikipedia. Yes, apparently. <laughs> wiki, wiki, wiki on wheels. Um, so really you have to have enough money to buy yourself dinner every night. Mm. And if you haven't got that, you can always have a dinner of ve vegan paste and marzipan uh, because something random has always been donated. So you won't actually starve. 
Um, and mm. apparently, if you go to Sang Sang Sang, uh, <laughs> uh, Discotheque Calais, is that right? No, Discotheque. Uh, there's there's free entry and <laughs> and drinks paid. That's exactly what I was going to say. They someone will buy you a drink if you wear your salopettes. So you are covered, covered, covered. Um, so do, do some of you come out with just like a little bit of savings and then you just all budge up and live in together and you just basically live on nothing essentially, there's, just there's, like little bit of little bit of pocket money. What your family will chip in or help you out. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Sue, one of the older volunteers. Um, <laughs> this a, is a bit of a sticking point. Uh, <laughs> I'm a teacher. I work in the Netherlands. And I saw that the, uh, the bus wanted people for three weeks for some continuity. And I thought they'll never, ever agree to that uh, with my job. But I just asked. And I said, oh, can I take two weeks before the school holiday? And I was a bit shocked when they said yes. So my school are actually paying for me to be here now, which is amazing, isn't it? That's absolutely fantastic. So I just well, say school, school it is. Could They're called Fridas in Horn, oh, in the Netherlands. That's amazing. And uh, if other schools or uh, organisations could sponsor people to come out and volunteer, that would be wonderful. And a lot will, actually. I know a lot of big corporations uh, that have programmes where you can go and volunteer and they will fund them. Yeah, I'm Eloise, and my charity let me work remotely. So that I wanted to change and come here for... Um, about three months, and they said, fine, we'll let you work remotely. So that's another option. Uh, so I'm working with them for two days a week uh, and volunteering the rest of the time. So that's another option as well. Has anyone got a story that they feel it's all right to tell about uh, an interaction that they've had with a refugee they've met or somebody that, you know, has made it, you know, has passed and made it and, you know, and, and the relationship they've got with them? Is there, any, is there anyone you would like to talk about that, uh, that you feel or anything that's happened that you'd like to talk about? that you'd like to talk, tell us like a story on this. Hi, I'm Melissa. Melissa. Where are you from, Melissa? You can tell I'm from somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> You're from somewhere else, Melissa. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from the U.S. You're from the U.S. Yes. Have you come here especially to volunteer at Calais? Yes. Wow. You've gone on a plane from the U.S. Yes. It's hard to imagine why when, <laughs> when, when the U.S. is currently run by such it's a humanitarian president. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he himself has done so much for other people that aren't him. Um, uh, can you so you've come especially how did you hear about Calais when you were in America um, well I recently graduated from my master's in nonprofit management and um, I decided that I wanted to take some time before job searching um, to do something um, that I had always wanted to do which is like uh, more humanitarian service work abroad um, I my family is from Puerto Rico so I was there for a while um, and uh, help, helping out there. Um, a lot of people might know about the hurricane that hit there and, and the um, lack of electricity and water um, on the island. And so there were organizations helping out there, and I was involved for a bit. Um, and so then from there, um, a friend of mine had recommended uh, uh, the Refugee Women's Center, um, and that led me to the other organizations. So um, and I decided to come to, to France and then to Calais. Amazing. And do you, ha do you has anything happened here that's really stuck with you? Uh, definitely. I've had many, many interactions that have um, been very life-changing. Uh, one that sticks out in particular uh, was on the school bus project. Uh, so I, had a, a I just had this really amazing conversation um, with uh, a man on the, on the bus. He... 
we had this exchange of where we were from. I was talking about my family in Puerto Rico, and he was talking about um, his life back in Ethiopia, and he was teaching me a lot about Ethiopia, which I'm completely ignorant about, um, and uh, also about his own life. He was an aeronautic engineer back in Ethiopia, and so it, it was just very um, Is that an eye-opening. Yes. It was very eye-opening to hear um, about his life, and uh, it, 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 it's very humbling, I, mm -hmm. I felt. Um, so, yeah, that's, some, uh, that's a person I'll never forget. Great. Sure. Um, Evie. I just want to add, actually, about the same guy. Um, he, I once didn't have gloves, and I, first of all, problem was complaining about not having gloves, just chatting to him, and he took his off and gave them to me. And I was just like, oh, God, why the hell am I complaining? Like, <laughs> I, I go get some gloves. I was like, no, I'm not taking your gloves off you, but it's just he's just such a lovely guy and just one of many. Does it? Happens a lot. What, yeah. They give you something. Yeah, right? like I, I shouldn't say they, but refugees yeah. give volunteers something. If you're ever, if you're ever cold or it's rainy, I mean, yesterday I was going to do coats. Um, they, people just come up to you and they're like, oh, you're cold. Have my scarf. Um, even though you've got one like in the van or back mm. at um, a warehouse or wherever, and I think it just happens a lot that people want to give you things. Like See, again, I would cry then, and yeah. then I feel like so pathetic because I'm like, I'm not crying because I'm frustrated. You know, fair, you know, fair enough. We all have bad days or whatever. I would be crying on behalf of the empathy of a human being who's been through terrible trauma and is now in a desperate situation, has no idea if they're ever going to be. Uh, have a visa for asylum ever again and yet they're giving me their gloves and I would cry and I would feel pathetic because I would be like how how dare I how do you hold it together guys I think it's incredible because you just you see someone's capacity for empathy and I think that's definitely built up here because you know a lot of the time when someone offers you something it's not because they're saying oh well you know you're never going to have a coat again you're, you don't know where your stuff's coming from because they know that you might, you're going to have something back home it's more that they know what it feels like to be cold. They know what it feels like to be hungry. And in that instant, that's all they think, they think about and that you're thinking about. And it's like, well, you're cold. You can borrow my gloves. My hands are okay. And it's very instantaneous. And I think that's because, you know, the guys are living from moment to moment. They live from day to day. If they have a sleeping bag now, they know they might not have it tomorrow. And everything is very in the moment. Can you tell me about that? Firstly donations not not everyone can volunteer and certainly not everyone can volunteer every day so uh if you are in the uk or any other part of the world and you would like to volunteer to the calais women's refugee center or uh any other part of the operation in calais and dunkirk there are a lot of men who are in situations where you know they there are no donations for them for example so how do people donate and what do you need so there's eight associations that work out of one warehouse, um, and that's including like the Women's Centre, the Info Bus, Help Refugees, Utopia, Refugee Community Kitchen. Um, we all work out of one warehouse, and a lot of the time if you want to organise donations, you can just uh, either email RCK or Help Refugees. Um, and there's so it can all be you can either send it to one address people can bring it over we're going to start a wish list I'm afraid I'm really sorry and I already apologise in advance it's probably going to be on Amazon because <laughs> it's easy to see exactly what we need uh, these guys can put up exactly the, the quality of what they need mm -hmm. and we can see the numbers going down but also if they need more we can then reactivate uh, that part of the wish list um, and we know it does get delivered and it gets delivered in a short turnaround. Uh, mm. in, in, we can choose 
uh, we can choose exactly what we want. So um, the wish list will be in the show notes for this, and I'll also put it at the end. <coughs> so um, I was saying to you guys before, well, like say you need a thousand tents. A lot of people are sleeping outside. They don't have any tents, and they don't have any sleeping bags currently. And it is freezing here, guys. It is. It has been snowing here. I don't know. It must be zero degrees today or minus two. Yeah, it's about it's, it's zero to minus two, I think, at the moment. Um, and people are sleeping outside, even minors, even children are sometimes sleeping outside. Um, and I was saying, well, we've, what if we got enough tents that there was a surplus? And you said the police confiscate tents. Yeah. So the problem is, is that at the moment, so there's the CRS, which are in Calais, and they're basically riot police um, in normal context, they uh, control football crowds or like concerts. But in Calais, for the past God knows how long, at least the past two years that I've been here, is they they're here, they're stationed here permanently. Um, and they're they, not regular police, are they? No. So basically, they're not trained to be police officers. <laughs> they are they they do their job and that's it. But they don't have a knowledge of the law. They don't have a knowledge of police systems, um, which means and they are essentially. They were described, actually, by the ambulance service I spoke to the other day as thugs in uniform. This is the French ambulance mm. service that described them as this. Um, and, and do they recruit people who they feel will, in inverted mm. commas, get the job done, do you think? Essentially, yes. Um, How long does any one CRS police officer, in inverted commas, stay in Calais? So the companies are stationed here for about two weeks and then they turn over, basically so that they can't learn to empathise with the people that they end up um, confiscating items off. Uh, there's so many cases of police brutality where um, it, you know, it's not a pleasant talk about. But the the violence that people uh, like receive, people, they spray people's sleeping bags with tear gas. They spray people in when they're sleeping. They beat people while they're sleeping. Beat people during the day. The the accounts that we hear every single day. Um, it's, it's a never ending list of things that the police do. That's truly, truly horrendous. And they are only. They only stay two weeks, so they don't humanise and get to know anybody, get to know anyone's name. Yeah. Um, It must have an effect uh, on... I can't just want to say this if people are going to go... But I think it is interesting what you said before. Um, How do those people... How do them... Is it men? Is it always men? Um, There are some females. Not that many, but some. So how do the people who work for the CRS as these sort of mercenary... Ersatz police officers like how do you think they sleep at night I think it's difficult was what you were speaking about earlier was that um I think a lot of the time people have to justify to themselves how they're doing things they go I just do my job so people are you know the CRS only here for two weeks and they get their order what we've um kind of witnessed is that each company seems to have a different kind of um kind of policy they'll be like they'll be sent to do a certain amount of like tent clearances or they'll be sent to what are they hoping to 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 gain from taking people's tents away because they know that people have nowhere to go so they think that it's the same with the so with the eviction of the jungle there was about eight thousand to ten thousand people here so just Um, to contextualize because people listen to this all over the world the calais jungle was a refugee camp that was self-built and there were lots and lots of um shelters built uh and there was lots of facilities there were restaurants Uh, it was it was very much people's homes. It was on a very small piece of land, but there were like up to nine thousand people here, and the French government uh, saw fit basically to bulldoze it to the ground. Yeah, and uh, basically everyone lost their their temporary but very important homes and community. So yeah, they they closed the camp and there was the demolition, and this is what we argued about at the time. Um, and they said that there were buses to accommodation centres, and that they did they did occur. But the French state has been known to lie to people about what these centres are going to be, whether they're going to have to give fingerprints and 
the French state seems to think that by ordering tent clearances, by, you know, increasing the levels of police numbers, which Theresa May is funding with £41 million pounds, um, in a new deal that's been made. She's funding what? So there's £44 million being given in a new deal that was made between Macron and May. Um, £41 million of that is going to increased uh, security, which is, means increased police, increased CRS officers. Um, to stop refugees... Yeah, go to deter people from being here, essentially. And to stop them trying to get from France to, to yeah. the UK. And then in comparison to that, so you've got 41 million and then 3.6 million was given to help family reunification. That's oh. the scales. <laughs> oh. Oh. But yeah, so they aim to deter people from being here. They do, the French state doesn't seem to think about where these people are going to go. They just don't want them in Calais because that's how they, it looks so bad in the media. So they... They, they hope if they take people's sleeping bags away and they burn their tents or they pepper spray them and their children, they hope they will, go, they will leave and people will hear Calais is a terrible place, don't go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, um, out of sight, out of mind. So how often do they confiscate the tents and the, and the sleeping bags of vulnerable people from traumatic uh, uh, circumstances that have nowhere else to go? How often does that happen? So there's several dif- distribution points and this is just in Calais. Um, there's obviously like Dunkirk as well and other areas in northern France. But there will be, you know, multiple confiscations during the week. There can be even like, you know, one, two, three at the, the same place. Um, so can we get enough tents to you? Is that, is that possible? Like how, how uh, if we set up this wish list, how many tents would we need to donate each week? To the, so that it meant that if the police came in and confiscated everyone's tents, new tents would be available to them. So in theory, the, you know, there's the, the amount of people in northern, like kind of in Calais and Dunkirk at the moment, is between 1,000 and 2,000. Um, and, you know, if there's a tent clearance every week, that's 1,000 tents every week. They take them all? Not all of them, but they do multiple clearances. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they just take their tents away. They just say, this is your tent, but I'm taking it. Um, it's just like, all they destroy it. it. <sighs> yeah. But how, what kind of emotional effect is that on someone just, like, watching their tent be destroyed? That's just the only thing they have. Sadly, I think a lot of people are used to it. So they just go, ugh, this is just Wednesday. Yeah. And, and do they come to you for a new tent? And if you have one, you give it to them. And if you don't, you can't. Yeah, essentially. And the problem is, is that the scale that it's happening on and the, you know, the donations and supplier donations that we have, it's, the, there's a, often a disappointment there, which means that we sadly have to disappoint people a lot. We can't always, we never always have, you know, a ready <laughs> stock of 10,000 tents in the warehouse that we can go, yes, we can do a distribution every time this happens. Because we just don't have the supply, we don't have enough. Okay. Cali isn't in the media at the moment. It's you know, it's a lot quieter than back in the days of the jungle. The the attention, the spotlight isn't here anymore. Right. So we need guilty feminist listeners to help with tents and sleeping bags. They're the main things. Is there anything else that you desperately need? We can make the wish list, but just so you can tell us. Um, for like general distributions, it's warm men's clothing. Smaller, medium sizes is absolutely ideal. Um, and then obviously the women's centre and stuff as well. Great. Well, we'll make the wish list and our priority is tents and sleeping bags because if people are sleeping on the ground in the freezing cold, that is really worse than anything. So uh, we will prioritise that, but we will put up all the stuff that you need. Um, uh, do you do you find that watching the... Pol- the I mean, they're not really police, but the, <laughs> the CRS, watching the, the, the mercenaries hired by the state, basically, let's be very clear about what it is, destroy property, take away children's sleeping bags and shoes and things like that. Does that 
eat at you in a way that we're saying, oh, isn't it wonderful when you meet, uh, you know, a scientist from Eritrea who gives you his gloves uh, and then, you know, a, a woman from, you know, Kazakhstan who shares her meal with you and that's this incredible experience where you get to have these amazing exchanges and you meet people and you get to play with children and teach them and have this wonderful exchange does the does the does the crs's actions does it erode something in you at the same time like how do you cope with it i think it depends who you are and it depends what day it is sometimes you know for me anyway sometimes it's the most frustrating thing i've ever seen you know you see volunteers spend hours and hours and hours trying to organize a tent distribution that goes really really well and everybody that comes gets a tent and that's incredible and then you see that later that day everything's taken away and sometimes it feels like it's endless sometimes it feels like this problem is and at the moment and the solutions that there are now unless you know people change foreign policy this problem isn't going anywhere and sometimes it feels like it's a never-ending problem that we're constantly grinding away at and just standing completely still and then some days you, you know, you kind of are motivated to do more. You see that, you know, this is this is what they're doing and this is what we're doing. And this is this is the fight we can fight. We can give things. We can be that solidarity for people. Um, some days it's inspiring. Some days it's utterly depressing. Just wanted to say something really quickly to anyone who's thinking about donating. With regards to the clearances and the confiscations of people's belongings, um, I just want to say to anyone who feels like it might sound like it's futile in donating things that might be destroyed or confiscated within a week, it's actually, especially because we're in winter, um, even one person having a tent or a sleeping bag for one night can actually be life-saving. It can be the difference between someone sleeping out in the snow, as we have had recently, or being dry, at least. So even though it might be taken away from them, for us to be able to replace them and keep people relatively sheltered for one night is really important. And if I can just add the same again about ideas about donating um, you don't need to give much so in terms of the kitchen it's so it's so important for um, when it's really cold um, horrendous weather that we provide really nutritional filling um, high calorie meals to people um, twice a day in Calais um, and Dunkirk and we generally are able to provide two hot meals for one pound um, and that's a meal of rice, curry and salad so making sure that it's really hot but also that there's nutrition and lots of vegetables in there um, so if you can only say donate some money um, and you feel like you can't donate much even one pound provides two meals for somebody and it's you know we make sure that those meals are really tasty really enjoyable but also really nutritious and especially in this weather that's really important that's really good to know so if you donated 10 quid that's 20 meals that's 20 meals 20 20 really lovely home-cooked meals with lots of care and love in them and and that really you know keeps um both of spirit and body together and also really keeps morale up um that's amazing is there anything else anyone wants to say about uh what you need what you love what you hate anything you want to get off your chest anything that frustrates you um yes just one super good organization that i just realized we haven't mentioned at all is um phone credit for refugees and displaced Mm. people um which so like obviously Everyone, like, a phone is the most useful thing you can have. If, like, for refugees who are here, they can talk to their family, they can get in touch with emergency services. Um, But a lot of the time they don't have money for phone credit, and phone credit for refugees and displaced people does amazing work. Like, 
people donate to them and then they do top ups for people. But they have a huge waiting list and um, kind of a lack of funds. So if anyone has wants to donate, um, that would be an amazing place to get money to. We will also put that on the show notes and on the website. Uh, and it will appear at the end of this podcast as well where you can donate uh, for that. So there's something everyone can do. Even if you've got one quid, you, you can give that and that will be two hot meals for somebody. Uh, if, you've got, uh, if you've got some money to, for phone credit, if you can afford to buy a tent. Um, and, and, w- and we don't want to imply that everyone's tent is taken away within 24 hours. It's, 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 it's you know, lots of people, you know, do keep their tents for, for longer. And, and, and uh, how, how long is it possible that someone keeps their tent and is able to kind of protect it? Um, it depends. Also, there's like, you know, the weather conditions to remember, you know, tents are a lot of the time designed for going camping and not for living in. So people can, you know, can keep them for a certain amount of time. But also people, you know, people have their belongings and that's really important to them as well. And a tent can help people keep their belongings safe. Mm. OK, so um, so tents are important. Sleeping bags are important. Uh, warm clothes and you yourself coming out, meeting people, volunteering for an afternoon, a weekend, a week. What have you got? Instead of uh, a really irritating holiday where you just lie around feeling shit and you know, with mosquitoes and um, arguing with your, bickering with your partner, um, which, let's be clear, many holidays are just that. Um, <laughs> disappointing weather behind, beside a pool you, that, that looks un, unsavoury um, and while you bicker with your family. Come out. Take your week off and come out here. I mean, and go to, don't go to Sang 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 Club Discotheque. Something else to remember um if you can't come to cali yourself if you can't um maybe donate physical items or money is also um we've got web pages and facebook pages for all the organizations working here so um if you just go to facebook look for help refugees refugee community kitchen or really any of the organizations working on the ground sharing our posts with your friends and family just showing people what we're doing and what's happening here is really, really important, really helpful, because it's not in the media. Like, the story of what's happening here isn't being told. It's not being shown. A lot of people who are here helping right now weren't aware of what was happening, and only by, like, getting the word out about it, we can help and we can continue the work we're doing. So that's a really, really great way to be involved. It takes a little bit of your time, but it's free besides that. And continuing, like continuing putting pressure on your, like especially the UK and French governments, but other European governments as well, to like start taking the issue seriously, especially in the UK stuff, is like actually fulfilling that promise to speed up family reunification, making sure that the promises on like the Dubs Amendment are fulfilled as well, because there's been a lot of empty promises made, um, and so continuing like to remain in contact with MPs, to keep up like advocacy. Ag- advocacy campaigns and that can be found out about through charities like help refugees safe passage also the refugee youth service have been really active in that if we want to show more about that um how we can affect policy as voters because you know if we if we it's important right now we've just got to help people and get them tents and stuff but if we keep doing everything and not putting pressure on the government they go ah they got this um so we need to put pressure on our mps they work for us. We have to remember that. Um, they've, they've got their job because we pay them to do what we want, and it's a democracy. So we need to put more pressure on them. Yeah. What do we ask our MPs for if we're in the UK? There's a template letter. Guys, it's been done for you. You don't even have to write the letter. The template letter has been done. 
It's on the Infobus website. And the Infobus website is? Refugeeinfobus.com. Refugeeinfobus.com. It couldn't be simpler. You go, you get that template letter, you send it to your MP, you follow up, you check, you don't, you keep on sending that to your MP. You send that to MP, your MP, you send that to your MP as often as the CRS clear tents. You keep on sending it until they're, uh, they're annoyed by you. Uh, because they do work for us, and there's a there's a sense where we sometimes think, oh well, I voted four years ago, and the and the people I didn't like got in, and what can I do? Well, we can ask the people who are uh, who are who are meant to be representing us to represent us in the way that we want to be represented, and not just in the way that they want to represent us. Um, that's a really really important point. What's the? Can you tell us about the Dubs Agreement? Just look up the Dubs Agreement on Wikipedia. Is that a better thing to do? Oh, Wikipedia's over there. Calais Wikipedia. Let's go to the Calais Wikipedia bus. Uh, just tell us, just really headlines, two sentences. What's the Dubs Agreement? Can I think about it for a second? You're meant to be a living Wikipedia, so it's a bit disappointing, to be honest, that you're thinking about it. It's the Dubs Amendment of the Dublin Agreement. Yeah, it's the Dubs Amendment. Yeah, they're two separate things. Oh, OK. OK. Doesn't matter. We can look it up on Wikipedia. So yeah. look up look up the Dubs Agreement on Wikipedia. It's the Dubs Amendment and the Dublin Agreement. Okay. Look up the Dublin Agreement and the Dubs Amendment on Wikipedia and just find out a little bit more about the policies that are being made uh, because they're being made for and on behalf of us and most of the time we don't even know what they are. So we need, to, we need to educate ourselves and find out what's going on so that we can put the right pressure on the right MPs um, and get stuff changed. You have been listening to the Guilty Ferris from the Calais Warehouse at Sac 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 Club Discotheque. It's been Deborah Francis White and these have been the volunteers of Calais and There are lots of ways you can get involved. As you heard, the volunteers in Calais really need help. You can be a day player, you can come for the weekend, you can come for one week of your holiday. There are all sorts of ways to help but every single hour afternoon or day that you put in allows the permanent volunteers who are there to do life-saving work so if you would like to volunteer in Calais and other hotspots in Europe help refugees and their partners are in desperate need whoever you are whatever your skill set if you could think you can help please visit helprefugees.org forward slash volunteer you can also make a tangible impact by shopping online not for yourself but for refugees in need Visit the Choose Love store at www.choose.love and purchase sleeping bags, warm blankets and other essential items that are most needed right now. Use the code GUILTYFEMINIST, one word, capital G, capital F. That's GUILTYFEMINIST, one word, capital G, capital F, at the checkout to send them straight to Calais and Dunkirk. And Help Refugees are the biggest grassroots refugee charity in Europe right now. Your donations will help them provide food, shelter, medical care and more to 80 projects across the world. Visit helprefugees.org to learn more and donate today. The real solution to this crisis is ultimately political. Help refugees and their partners lobby governments to provide safe and legal routes for refugees. We can all help support by writing to our MPs. Follow Help Refugees on social media to find out how to join campaigns on issues including unaccompanied children and family reunion. Whether you have time or money or both or hardly any of either there are all sorts of ways to get involved please visit helprefugees.org now also the guilty feminist is doing a comics for calais fundraiser 
on the 2nd of May in London, which will have a sister show in Calais where comedians will be volunteering and doing a show in the evening. And these two shows will Skype back and forth. So we'll be able to visit London from Calais and Calais from London. So if you are in London, please save the date. May 2nd, there'll be some amazing comedians. Already on the bill, we have Jessica Foster Q, Desiree Birch and Phil Jupiter. So if you could put the date in and we will let you know the venue and where to get tickets very soon.